How good was that? Good, huh? Okay, so um, that's a bit of what we talked about last week. Do you view the world as this abundant place or as a place of scarcity? And as we've talked about it, Bethany, um, one of the things that you've helped me think about and you help our church think about is um, how much our family of origin and our um, growing up childhood adolescence shapes how we view the world. So what was that like for you? How did you, growing up, how did you see the world? Yeah, um, we grew up uh, more like lower middle class, sometimes middle class and sometimes lower middle class. My dad's a pastor and my mom uh, worked off and on doing dance. She was like a dance teacher and a theater person. So massively talented people, but uh, poor in the financial you know, areas. Um, we always, the, the, the thing I would think about our family is we always had enough, but we never had extra. So I always knew that we were tied on money, you know, we all pick up on that when we're in our families, and we were limited on what we could ask for or what we could get and kind of knew that. Um, and I also knew that money didn't come easily to our family. It wasn't like, we have a bunch of it, so we're able to, to share it. Um, but while I knew the financial like tension and stress and even limitations of the just enough provision mentality, my family also had this really beautiful uh, paradigm for life in the kingdom of God. My parents did a really beautiful job with that. So um, over and over again, I would see them live in such a way that we knew um, our provisions came from God himself, and they had a deep conviction about that. So like there were times when we needed a car because I was just like completely broken or falling apart or whatever, or even like going to camp, like we couldn't afford to send all three of us kids to camp, so we just needed someone, we, wanted, we needed help for someone to pay for that if we wanted to go, or like even a bill being paid. And with so much grace, uh, over and over again, I saw my parents look to Jesus for those needs, and then they'd even invite us to do the same thing. Um, so we lived in this like weird uh, marriage of life as it was, you know, like this day-to-day -day grind and struggle, but also um, through uh, this access point of like heaven. We felt like heaven was accessible to us, and that in that there were no limits. Um, so it was uh, beautiful. And I know that sounds really spiritual, like, like, oh, you're a pastor, and so you just care about God and everything. Um, and that's true, I do care about God and everything. Um, but it, just to be fair, like it didn't always feel that way. So that sounds like a really spiritual and noble thing about our family, and it, it is, it's a beautiful heritage. But um, it didn't feel that way all the time, and a lot of the times it didn't feel that way, but it did, I think, make way for us to encounter the miraculous and the realities of the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's super you, cool. Yeah, so um, I grew up more, you know, upper middle class. My dad worked, my mom stayed home, and we did not live extravagantly at all. And my parents didn't spoil us at all, but they really did model sharing. Like, as I've told you guys stories before, um, my parents had our home open to people, um, for better or for worse. And I thought it was worse. Turns out it actually was better. Um, but then as I've been reflecting on how my parents lived life, there was this really beautiful expression of generosity. And I have this snapshot in my mind of my dad, probably high school and college age. Um, every Sunday they would go to church and every Sunday my dad would pull out the checkbook and he would write a check weekly. That was his rhythm. And it's interesting because now Jenny and I like set up our giving for Bridgetown on like a recurring monthly thing and we like set it once at the beginning of the year and then it's just auto once a month. But as I've reflected on it, like I saw my dad and it instructed me just the ritual of him pulling out the checkbook, writing the check. And what's weird slash really cool, I guess, is that we were one of those families, like even when we went on vacation somewhere, we went to church and I went to yes. a lot of weird churches. 
Yeah, I went to a lot too. And Jan did the Sunday school classes with Stranger. It was awful. You're like, don't leave me. A lot of stuff and to unpack there. Yeah. yeah, and even at those churches, my dad would pull out the checkbook, write the check. And I just, that um, showed me kind of how yeah. they viewed the world and how the world was. That it was a place where built into receiving gifts was also giving. Um, but for me, there was a big turning point from how I grew up and kind of the lifestyle I grew up in um, to uh, kind of a, a trajectory that's put me here today. And so when I was 20 years old, I went on a missions trip. I went to Papua New Guinea in the middle of nowhere, tribal culture where um, people had given their lives towards public health, literacy, and then helping people that didn't know about Jesus meet Jesus and start these indigenous churches. And I went there as a 20 year old and I had my mind blown. I was there for a whole summer and it was just radically um, compelling to me. And so at that point, um, there in the jungle in the South Pacific, I made this commitment that I wanted my life to be about something like this, that um, I, didn't, I didn't wanna pursue like a normal career, but I wanted, I had this idea in my mind, and this is, you know, it's all kinds of twists and turns, but my idea was, man, what if I died and faced Jesus and I lived my life for the wrong thing? And so at that point, my expression of like, living my life towards eternal reward, towards eternity, was like, I'm gonna give my life towards something like this, living radically, missions, telling people about Jesus, um, what, whatever that was gonna look like. And so um, with that commitment came um, just a scripture that has kind of been super helpful for me to reconnect with. What does it mean to, for my life, not just my money or my possessions, but my lifestyle to be generous? And so um, if you would, turn in your Bibles, uh, to Matthew chapter six, and I'll, I think we'll put it up on the screen, and I'll just read this and um, just listen as we read here. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 19. Jesus teaches and he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Who knows what vermin are? They're like rodents, I guess, rodents. And think of it again, agrarian, first century culture, your crops was like your not only your paycheck, but also your savings, like that was your livelihood. So you do not want the vermin to like destroy your crops, right? So Jesus is saying, hey, don't store up treasure on earth um, where the vermin can destroy it and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin, there it is again, do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he has this great one-liner that if you've heard it once, you'll never forget it. He says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So um, I just wanna walk through this passage and just share a couple thoughts, I think, for us as a community, and then we'll um, pivot back over to Bethany and she's got some thoughts as well. So notice um, in this passage that Jesus is assuming that we're motivated by reward. And what's crazy is Jesus talks a lot about reward in the age to come. In the teaching right before this, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling his um, followers, he's like, hey, don't pray like this, you'll get no reward. Instead, pray this way so that your Father in heaven will reward you. And then he says, hey, when you give, don't give like this, because God won't reward that. Give this way so that your Father in heaven will reward you. There's just this built-in idea. Jesus knows that we're motivated by reward. He speaks directly to it. Um, and Jesus is saying here, we can store up eternal treasure in the age to come by giving away temporal, temporary treasure here in this present age. 
And now remember, when Jesus talks about the age to come, this age, all of that kind of stuff, remember, in the mind of Jesus and in the story of Scripture, he's not talking about someday when we die to go to heaven and we live as disembodied spirits in the clouds. That's not at all what Jesus means here. He's actually talking about the age to come when we live in the new creation, the new earth. So remember this, Jesus died, rose from the dead, and is in a physical body right now. Jesus seated in heaven in a physical body. And one day, he's gonna come back to earth. We will be resurrected in physical bodies. And this entire cosmos, this planet earth, will be made new again, and heaven will come to earth, and we will live here for eternity. That's the story of scripture. That's good, huh? People are getting pumped. They want me to preach more about that. So that's what Jesus is talking about, living with him, new heavens and new earth, where there's no more racism, no more violence, no more tears, no more pain, and no more death. That's where we're headed. But what's crazy about it is it's a physical reality. That's why our body is so important. Our bodies will be resurrected and we'll live here physically. We will eat and drink with Jesus. Remember, just a little more on that. Remember at the Please. Last Supper, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Remember the Last Supper, Jesus is with his disciples and he says, I'm not gonna eat or drink again this meal until the coming of my kingdom. Yeah. In other words, there's a day coming when Jesus will sit again with us at the table and we will eat and drink with him in that physical sense. That's a good thing I'm looking forward to. So Jesus' point is just this. He's saying, hey, there's a reality coming where it, things are going to be eternal. And right now, these treasures, whatever that is, possession, finances, um, experiences, he's saying those things are gonna pass very quickly. The treasures in this age won't last. And what I like about Jesus' teaching here is he's giving us a statement of fact. He's just saying, this is how life is. Possessions and earthly assets are difficult to keep safe. There's vermin that eat them. There's thieves that steal them. Things that are really beautiful will rust and decay. And that's just how life is. Possessions can break, they can be stolen, investments can be lost in an economic downturn. And Jesus is just encouraging us. He's saying, hey, don't put your investment in that. Instead, there's something safer and with better return. So Jesus is saying, transfer all that you have in this life into the age to come. And our friend Randy Alcorn calls this the treasure principle. And maybe you've heard this statement, I love it, it's very catchy, he says, you can't take it with you, thinking about money, possessions, all those kinds of things. He's like, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So Jesus is our ultimate like investment counselor here. And he's saying, hey, trade in what will not last for what will last forever. And um, as I was thinking about this this week and reflecting on it, I remember a great analogy. Remember where, uh, when the, all these European countries abandoned their individual currency and all went to the Euro. Do you remember that? Yeah. It's still happening, they did it. It's still working for now. So here's what happened. Years ago, like in France, Jenny and I were there right around the time this was about to change. And uh, the French franc, did I get the French yeah. franc? Yeah. Not to be confused with the father of the ride franc, huh? <laughs> I love him. And I love franc. Go ahead. Yeah, yes. they loved it too. I was giving yes. a moment. I was letting Thank it breathe. Thank you for that. I was letting that breathe, yeah. 
So the French franc at one point was the currency. If you wanted to buy something in e-commerce in France, you used the franc. Then there went into another stage where the euro was introduced, but you could still exchange your francs. You could go into a bank and get euros, right? And that window had an expiration date. And then now we're in a, a new season when if you walk into a bank from 2012 or whatever it was to right now, if you walk into a French bank with your francs, they will give you nothing. Maybe a little chuckle because francs now are absolutely worthless. Maybe you can sell them on eBay as memorabilia or antiques roadshow. You're like, look at my chest of francs. <laughs> They're like, that's worth $10. Um, point being, um, there was a window of time to trade in that currency. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. Yeah. He's saying any assets, any possessions, anything that you have, your actual very life, you can use in this limited time right now to transfer ahead for eternity. And um, I remember an illustration that stuck with me from college when someone said, think about the difference between a dot and a line. A dot is a static point, right? But a line has a point of origin, and then as it extends forward, picture it extending forward indefinitely, it has a point, and then it never ends. It keeps going forward. And the illustration that I remember hearing was, your life is like the dot. It's short. It has an end point. But eternity and our life with God in the kingdom of God will have a beginning point, and then it will extend on forever. And Jesus' rationale is, he's saying, live for the line, not the dot. And then he wraps it up with a beautiful saying and kind of brings it back to really, I think, God's heart for us. And he says, hey, and wherever your treasure is, your heart will follow also, which again is a statement of reality. Jesus is saying, you can disagree with me on this, but let me just tell you how it is. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. And think about this even again from like um, worldly asset standpoint. If you had stock, like let's say a long time ago, 10, 15 years ago, you bought a lot of Apple stock. Wouldn't that have been great in Apple computers? That would have been good. That would have been a good idea. If you bought Blockbuster stock, not good. That was not a good idea. Anyways, so let's say you had a bunch of Apple stock, and um, if you today have Apple stock, and you're, um, uh, on your newsfeed something pops up, and it talks about the CEO of Apple and a big decision, you're interested because you have Apple stock, and you don't want the CEO to mess it up. Or if like the new iPhone comes out, and it has three cameras instead of one, because that's what you need. One is not I, enough. You need yes. three, Bethany. You need to get that. So um, if that phone comes out, you're interested. You want it to succeed because you have Apple stock. You have invested interest. And likewise, if you um, give money and sponsor a child in Nicaragua, and then something pops up on your newsfeed about political unrest, turmoil, economic downturn in Nicaragua, you're concerned because you have investment there. And that's Jesus' point. Is he's saying hearts follow investment. Hearts follow treasure. And Jesus wants our hearts to not be weighed down and captured by the concerns of wealth and money here. Instead, he wants our hearts to get caught up with his heart. And isn't that interesting? It's like this whole thing is back to ground zero, which is God's greatest desire is for you to connect with his heart for you. And he's like, hey, don't invest on earth, invest in heaven, have heavenly mindset for where you invest because that's where you'll find me. And that's where God's heart is for us. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, you know, another piece around that that's an interesting reality, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I want my heart to be, I wanna have greater concern for the poor, I wanna have a greater concern for what God's doing globally and the cutting edge of kingdom expansion, like I want to care about that stuff, here's a reality. Before you feel like those feels of like, yes, I love you know, the poor, before you do that, start giving. Actually start giving your money towards that, and guess what will happen? Your heart will follow that, and your heart will be changed through that. It's just how it works. You start giving money, and then your heart follows it. Um, and then ultimately, obviously, he's drawing us into where our hearts will only be satisfied, and that's with him. So here's, um, as I think about this reality and Jesus teaching on that for myself and for us as a community, here's the question. What would it look like for Bridgetown Church, for us in this year, to be captivated by this idea, caught up in Jesus' vision of transferring, leveraging all that we have in this life for his kingdom and for the age to come? What would it look like if creatively we thought not just about giving money, although that's awesome, but anything that you have, like relationships that you have, connections that you have, that you could help someone else. I think about um, refugee care and mentoring, and tons of you are involved in that in our church. And there's opportunities. You may know how to start a business, and we know refugees that want to start food carts because they want to start businesses to provide for their family. Wouldn't it be awesome to have someone that's good at starting businesses and understands the loopholes and maybe the red tape and all application process or whatever? What if you knew that information and you could connect with someone who's desperate to start their new life and you could help them with that? So um, what would it look like? What do you have as far as time, relational availability, skills, um, and maybe it is even houses. You know, when we started this um, building campaign and we're buying this building, the very first gift we got was somebody that had a lot of investments and one of them was a house and they gave us the house and, and we actually got to sell it and keep all the proceeds and it was a lot of money that went towards our building. They gave us a house. Maybe you can't give a house, but um, another, another uh, family in the church are empty nesters, all their kids are out of the house and they um, were like, what do we do with this? They did some Airbnb and they're like, that was cool. But then they decided they wanted to use their house for traveling um, Christian musicians, speakers, um, people like coming through town doing different ministry stuff. Instead of someone having to you know, be at a hotel or whatever, they can use their house for free. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So like, hey, we've got this house, should we sell it? No, let's keep it and let's use it to um, bless people. So that's what they're doing. So what would it look like for you? What do you have and what would it look like to leverage those um, into the age to come? Yeah, and I love um, these examples of generosity because they're so, about so much more than money. And I think that's a huge part of this conversation that we wanna have even specifically tonight. Um, when I think of that reality, I think of the story uh, in Luke chapter 21. If you want, you can turn there, but it's also gonna be on the screen. It's a really short, small story. Um, and in it, we find Jesus talking to his disciples about what it means to give in the kingdom of God. And we see that he and his disciples are actually observing a woman, in particular a poor widow, who had come to the temple alongside a lot of other wealthy people to give her money or to give her tithe. And in this short story, we read that she gave all that she had and that she gave out of her poverty. It's like this beautiful lyrical line in it. While everyone else, the story goes, gave out of their abundance or their wealth. 
And while that sounds like a sweet thing, maybe you've heard it before, the reality of what we find in this text is actually a game changer. And I think it, it really echoes and reiterates what you're talking about, Gerald, when it comes to a kingdom paradigm or a kingdom perspective. Because this story gives us a picture of what it means to actually live life in the kingdom of God, to see things from a different perspective and to embrace realities not yet seen or even fully known. And that's a very real, I think, and essential part of practicing generosity is embracing this mystery sometimes and giving out of what you don't have. Um, there are a lot of things I'd love to say about this text so we don't have time, but there's one thing just specifically I wanna point out to us. I think it's important that we pay attention to who was giving what. Because from our Western perspective, it would be easy for a lot of us to assume this woman's poverty looked something like government assistance or just limited resources. But to truly understand this idea of giving out of poverty, we have to wrap our heads around life in the first century. Because being a woman in the ancient Near East meant that your life would be dependent upon the care or provision of other people, and in particular, men. So being a widow meant that your hope for provision was no longer an option. Meaning this woman who was giving out of her poverty was actually giving out of her destitution. It went beyond just a limited resource to something, a deficiency, something she did not have, a, a like overdrawn bank account. And you know, this woman wasn't just poor financially. If we read this text, we actually see that she was poor relationally as well. She didn't have the resources other people had, nor did she have the family that other people had, which means that the poverty this woman gave from was not, a just, was not just an absence of abundance, but a true deficiency. And this is a beautiful image. Um, for years in my home, my dad would consistently, and sometimes annoyingly, uh, remind us that we would be people who gave out of our poverty. That's why this story has always meant something. I never really knew where it connected until I got older, but he would say, we're gonna give out of our poverty. Even though we don't have this, we're gonna do it anyway. And it was kind of this mantra in our home. And he would just say it all the time. And when you like really want Nikes, that's not what you wanna hear, you know what I mean? You're like, I don't wanna wear Skechers, man. But anyway, we did it. <laughs> and we survived. Uh, so a word for those out there. <laughs> um, and you know, at the time I couldn't grasp how this narrative or practice would shape my life, what my dad was speaking over us and to us and what he was in some measure forcing us to practice. It really changed how I did, lived my whole life. This was just a beautiful picture of that. You know, the story of the widow and her copper coins and the narrative it brings tells us and shows us that generosity is just as much about giving out of our poverty out of the places we're deficient or we're lacking, as it is about giving out of places of abundance. And I think for so many of us, we've gotta get that, lean into that. Because generosity at its core is about a heart posture. And it's supposed to shake up our idea of what is valuable and where we place our value on things. Generosity in the kingdom of God is an open-handed, upside-down perspective on life itself. And I think when it's actually practiced, it's so freeing that we can actually give even in the absence of what we don't have. Poverty, like wealth, can be about a lot of other things other than money. Many of us tonight in this room are poor in spirit. We're poor in relationships. We're poor in happiness. We're poor in courage or in wisdom. And some of us even feel poor in love tonight. And still, the practice of generosity in it, there's this invitation to give just the same. Because it's not so much about what is being given as much as it is about how we give and why we give. So I love this. This is a huge connecting point. This has been a game changer for me, and I hope it's a game changer for a lot of us in the room. 
The question we have to ask, though, in, in light of all of this stuff we're hearing from the scriptures and from the stuff we heard even last week is, well, how does this translate to real life for you and for me? What does this actually mean for us? Like, it's great to talk about in theory. All of us are moved deeply by it. But what does it actually mean to put that in practice? And we have just a couple thoughts and ideas. And by we, I mean me. <laughs> um, uh, the first, I mean, you're on board, but yeah. Uh, the first is we would say, um, start small. Um, and in that, I think a great starting place is to, to put into practice a grateful heart or gratitude. Often those who are the best givers are people who are the most grateful. Have you noticed there's like a connection between the two? So if you're like, man, I really need to start the smallest possible thing, we just say, begin just to notice and pay attention and practice gratitude. Or maybe it's what John Mark said in the giving of your 1%. Just give your one and, and throw it out there. Or maybe just buy someone coffee this weekend. That's your act and you're like, I'm just testing it. I'm doing that testing God thing and see what happens. Um, it's been said, by I don't know who, that nothing changes if nothing changes. A brilliant statement that we need to hear over and over again. I think I said that. Well, I'm saying it now. So nothing changes if nothing changes. Write my name next to that quote. Uh, so the point here is that you would change something. Just change something in your life. And don't put pressure on it being something huge. Just start small, because you don't know what that little gift will mean to someone or how God wants to use it or bless it. God has this weird principle of multiplication thing that he does all the time, and it's really hard for us to measure what it is that we're giving and how we're giving and what he wants to do with that. Um, when I was a teenager, my family went through a really tight and hard financial season, like really, really tight. And almost every week, I would walk into church and I would be slid or kind of handed a, a $20 bill by a man named Mr. Gentry. And he'd say, just look me right in the eyes and say, give this to your daddy, which is what they say in the South, in a non-creepy way. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing I, I think about is how Mr. Gentry, his eyes never left my eyes when he put that money in my hand. And, um, and that was powerful. And I know that $20 isn't a lot to, uh, to a lot of us, but it was huge to us. And a lot of times it was like, indicative of how we would eat that week. You know, not like how like we didn't have any food at all, but kind of what we would get to eat that week. Um, and you know, uh, the thing that sticks out to me, and I just, as I was reflecting this week too, the most is not what he gave me or what he gave our family, but how his eyes would meet mine and how he would bless me with a smile and there would be no shame and no embarrassment and no judgment, just provision. And every week it felt like God was speaking to me that he was saying, I can take care of you even if it's $20 a week for a million weeks, by the way, which probably rallied, tallied to some kind of big number, but it's really um, huge. So just remember that small in the realm of the kingdom is often a relative term because we don't know exactly what it'll mean. So start small and start where you can. Next, we'd say make it fun, or another way to say this is make it matter to you. Make it matter to you. Sometimes you're like, oh no, but if I have to, I don't like giving to things I don't care about. I mean, that's just an honest confession. Do you know what I mean? Some of you, you don't wanna say it yet, but you wanna say it, yes, yeah, like no thanks. So find ways to make giving or generosity, this practice of it fun and exciting. So pay for someone's meal or pay for someone's coffee. I did it the other week, I was like, oh God, because God said, not because I was being so spiritual, I was like in my own world, and he was like, that guy needs to eat something. And so we paid for it, and then I'm like watching in the corner like, oh, look at 
God feeding this man. I mean, it was like such a creepy moment, but I was so stoked and it was so rad. And I was like, I didn't even think of that. You're so smart. Thanks for giving me the heads up. Or maybe if, um, if, if you ever venture off out to the suburbs or something, think about going through a drive-thru. Uh, these are places you drive up to, get food, you order, and then you, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you been there's there? drive throughs in Portland too. I know, me. but there's so, none of these people are going there. So I'm trying to, just in case you ever end up in one. Um, so, you know, maybe pay for the food behind you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, there's no judgment. I love a good drive-thru, amen? Uh, <laughs> uh, or maybe another thing is just be generous with your time and listening to someone. Put down your phone and look them in the face and really listen to the words that they're saying and just be present. Um, and, and in that, find a way to give in line with your passion. It's scientifically proven that it's easier to give to what you believe in. Um, to what you want to be a part of. So start there. And if it's the building campaign, which I would say like a lot of us need to really consider it because sometimes we're not thinking about, the, I'm not thinking about the building campaign actively like that where I'm like, this church really matters to me and it's odd because I work here. So that probably should. Anyway, I'm grateful. She but, just wants an office. Yeah, that's, that's all I want. Sense. I'm giving to my office. Let's all give to that in yeah. faith. Uh, <laughs> But, but if it's the building campaign, if it's this church and you love what God's doing around the world and, and how we're existing in Portland and what we're after, like that's what you give your money. You're like, yeah, I'm on board. And, and the day we walk in that building, you're gonna say, I'm part of this. I invested so much of my person, not just physically or emotionally, but I gave to this. Give in line with that. Or if it's an organization or people who do work overseas, give to them. Give to people in places that mean something to you. A couple years ago, I started giving to a family who I really love uh, deeply. Um, and they were doing really scary kingdom work overseas, meaning it would be dangerous for them to talk about where they live and where they come from and all of that. And as much as I love this family, I wasn't giving because I love them or even believe in God's calling on their life. And I believe both those things really strongly. I'm giving to them and giving sacrificially because I really care. I really do. In the depth of my person, I really care about people who've never and never will hear the name of Jesus unless someone tells it to them. That really matters to me. And it matters to me that it comes from a person who's looking them in the eyes and tells them that Jesus came all the way to wherever, Papua New Guinea or wherever, because he loves them and he's fighting for them. So I'm like, I'm throwing all my cash money at that crap because that's fun. You know, that's like how I wanna give it. And I love a good pair of new boots, I do. But I, I care more deeply about people hearing the gospel go forth. Find something that matters to you. Find people you believe in and are connected to and give. Got it? Good, great. Next, be creative. Let's get creative, Gerald. Look, we don't like rules here in Portland, so just throw them out. You don't have to have a set of rules or whatever. Don't let people boss you around. Uh, remember, <laughs> generosity doesn't always mean money, so get creative. It can be your time or your energy or your access to certain people. Some of you people work with people who are fancy and cool or just really well connected. You need to connect someone in this community to them and that's meaningful. That could change the trajectory of their life. It could be as simple as that. Get creative in the way that you're being generous and then keep evaluating and reevaluating your giving. Not just how much you're giving or the ways in which you're giving, but when you're giving it and what you're actually giving. This changes season to season. It's really changed in my life on multiple levels, even in this last season. What am I giving and how am I giving it? Find a way to be creative with how you give and don't let your perception about what you do or don't have keep you from giving. Um, next we'd say spend time with people in need. Now this sounds like a good Portland um, answer, but I don't want you to just listen to it through just a financial lens. I'd like you to think about those people in your community that you know who are poor in spirit, mm. who need the gospel 
Those are also people in need. Um, we'd say listen to people around you who, who are different from you, who have less than you do, or who value things differently than you do, or have really known what it is to truly want for something. If you've, um, you know, very few of us have known that reality, truly, no matter how dark our paths have been, it's rare that we would know what it means to truly want. It's important for us to sit with people who have and then to let God cultivate a heart of generosity in us as a result. You know, I think uh, many of us, myself largely included, um, are far removed from the poverty of this city, the poverty of spirit, and the poverty of finances. And we're removed in that way from our world too. And I wonder how we would be different how we would give or what it would look like in, in the giving of ourselves if we allowed ourselves to enter into places where people were actually in need. What would change or catalyze in us? Um, next, I'd, finally, I'd say surround yourself with generous kingdom people. Um, I am practicing generosity the way that I am, which is like, murk, murk, still growing in like a massive way. It's like a baby Tamagotchi, you know? Um, but it's growing, I'm feeding it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, man, those were fun, weren't they? Becky knows. Uh, I'm practicing generosity um, the way that I am because I have seen, uh, because of the people who've been around me who've been generous. I grew up in a massively like incubator for generosity. Tons of people who gave sacrificially. And honestly, I, I give the way that I do or practice generosity the way that I do because of uh, the fact that I've been the recipient of people's generosity, largely. Largely, my life has consisted of just receiving generosity from other people. And that's amazing, it's confusing, and it's shaped how I wanna give my life. We become like the people we surround ourselves with. We've said it a thousand times, but you do. So if you're with people who really care about material things and things that matter here and now, you probably will do the same, or at least have your focus on that. So consider being around people who are free with their money, who are generous, who like to give, who think of other people in this way, and then allow the Spirit of God to change you to become like them. Um, even. I was thinking about this through the lens of communities. Like we have so many Bridgetown communities in here and I wonder what it would mean if we asked the question, what would it mean if we were generous? Like if we had to map out the generosity of our community, what would we say? I was thinking about my community. They just gave money to these missionaries who just moved to town who had nothing. They gave 650 bucks in the blink of an eye because they were just like, we want to give this way. Um, and we, want, we, we actually think this work is as important as them going overseas and caring for them here and now. That's really significant. So how are we being generous? And how are we becoming more like Jesus and all of these things? I love it. And um, it reminds me, I got a box of like 12 Starbucks drinks in the mail the other day. They were like double shots and a shrink wrap thing. Mm -hmm. And I realized it was because my son had um, bought them on Amazon and meant to ship them to his dorm room, but they got shipped to me instead. Rut, rut row, hello. And so I put them in my car and I tried to take them back to Amazon because I wanted to get the 10 bucks back. <laughs> and they, apparently they won't take liquid back. FYI, that's Helpful for you. fact. So, um, you know, so my wife and I are working on this house and I brought um, like some materials to the house and opened up the back of my car and was unloading stuff for contractors there. And one of the contractors that I work with um, saw the Starbucks and he's like, oh, you brought us all Starbucks. And immediately in my heart, I was like, dude, I pay you like $100 an hour. I didn't bring you Starbucks. <laughs> and uh, this is a growth moment for you. And then I drove yeah. and then I drove off. And then I heard this voice in my head and it was like, you dummy. Yeah. And, um, and I think it was the Lord saying like, dude, you, the $10 that your son spent of your money on the Starbucks, <laughs> um, 
how do you view that $10? Are you in a scarcity mentality, Gerald, where you need to hoard that? Or are you in an abundant reality where you can give that? And I was like, check. So then the next day, I was back at the house, there's like five different contractors, everybody's, there's a lot of stuff happening, and I opened up the back, and I was like, and you get a Starbucks, and you get a Starbucks, and you get a Starbucks. It was awesome. Um, but all of that to say, you know, 25 years ago, on that missions trip, I made a life-altering direction for how I was gonna live my life, but still, here I am, you know, 25 years later, and I'm like hoarding Starbucks drinks to myself, and it just shows um, that we all have a long way to go and that those little moments um, are such acts of freedom. Yeah. To give that away was incredibly freeing and so good for my heart. So um, our, our ask for you is, would you consider what has God entrusted you with? And for some, right now, it's not money, it's time, it's relationship, it's energy. Um, and for others, it is things that God's given you that he creatively wants you to leverage in this life for the one to come. Thanks for listening to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. As many of you know, we're nearing the end of a year-long capital campaign to raise money for and buy this beautiful historic church building right on the inner east side of the urban core of Portland, Oregon. We can't wait. We're in the remodel project right now. Hope to move in in March of 2020, but right now we're just raising money as a church to pay for this beautiful space. If you're a podcast listener, follower from another church, another city, and anything at all moves in your heart and you would like to give back and contribute toward our church and this project over and above whatever you give to your local church, which we're all for. If you have any questions or thoughts, just visit bridgetown.church/give or shoot us an email for more information. Grace and peace.